Some of the topics that we're going to talk about are things I wish somebody had talked to me about a long time ago. My name is Leah Milton, and I'm here with Sharon Mohagan, and we are your hosts for What Will Become of Me. So, for me, becoming a senior is something new. Go figure. One day you're starting off your adult life with enthusiasm and excitement, thinking you'll never grow old, and then bam, you wake up and you're suddenly 60. Then you start asking questions like that you hadn't thought of before, like what will become of me like when I'm 80? Or like, do I have to start acting like a mature adult at this point? When do I need to start thinking about dot, dot, dot? Well, Sharon and I are going to talk a lot about the dot, dot, dot questions. Sometimes with special guests, sometimes with a panel, and sometimes just Sharon and I will discuss topics that we feel need to be talked about. A lot of the topics are hard topics to talk about and are serious, and we hope that you will find them helpful. However, we also hope to give you a laugh or two in the process on topics that may be lighter and more fun. We are not experts on any subject, just a couple of old gals thinking it is about time someone talks about topics that some might find taboo, but hopefully lots of topics that you folks out there will say, well, it's about freaking time somebody talked about this. So grab a cup of coffee, decaf is probably recommended, find a comfy seat, relax, and enjoy the next few minutes with Sharon and myself. So Sharon, hopefully our listening audience is now intrigued, or interested, or at least curious at the very least. I'm going to turn it over to you to introduce yourself and get our topic of discussion underway. Over to you. Hi everyone, and welcome to What Will Become of Me. I'm Sharon Mohagan, and I am the more serious co-host, while Leah is the fun one. Uh, Did I just say that? Well, we'll see. You know, I can be fun too. When I was in my 20s, I never thought about my retirement years, and, and still in my 30s and 40s, I still didn't think about my retirement years and what they would look like. In my 50s, I knew retirement was in the back of my mind, but I was still not completely ready for it. Now, in my early 70s, it seems that I am now just starting to ask what will become of me. In the upcoming podcast, we will be exploring and receiving information on such subjects as mental health issues, the good, the bad, and the ugly with regard to insurance, the assets or lack of with regard to finances, driving, sexuality, diet, and exercise, and the list goes on. We are excited to be here with you and hope that you will take away some valuable information as well as having some fun with us. So, Leah, let me ask you, to begin with, how have you been feeling lately? Well, I just retired, so I'm pretty darn happy. <laughs> so, today we have a special guest with us. We have Donna from Calgary, and uh, we will have Donna introduce herself in a moment. But she's going to talk about depression in seniors. And from the look look of things out there after the pandemic, there are a lot of seniors that are depressed. So I think this will be of interest to you and to me and to uh, anybody else listening. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, uh, the pandemic isn't over yet. It's a, It's been going on for so long and we always get excited and think we're almost out of it and we get to 
get a hug and socialize and then something else comes along and it's uh, even for, you know, I, I've never been prone to depression, but, you know, sometimes stuff like this, like it's hard to keep on, on, on top, you know, to be happy when you're having to deal with this on a day-to-day basis. So depression uh, being a very serious topic to begin with, I think is even harder in this point in time in our lives uh, all around the world. So uh, it's a good topic to talk about today. Sharon, thank you very much for inviting me to talk on a topic that is not only central to my core values and beliefs, but central to a career of over 40 years. I am a registered psychiatric nurse, and in the context of that, I've worked in hospitals and outpatient, and a wonderful career it is because I got to be able to do talk therapy, not just hospital and medication-based treatments. For at least 30 years now, I've been doing outpatient counseling and talk therapy with people. And I work with a range of people. But now that I myself am a senior, I am often the one in my office to work with the most senior people that get referred in. So I have a practice in Calgary, uh, which uh, me... My partner and I employ about 12 psychologists and we work with referrals from doctors and self-referral. The most common theme, doesn't matter what age you are, is that people are struggling and suffering with depression or a combination of depression and anxiety. So I could say more about that because depression isn't simple. It is something most people describe having had experience with. I don't know that you can become a senior citizen without ever saying I went through a bout of depression. I could say more about that. Um, I want to be helpful in defining what a clinical depression is and separating that from what we call subclinical living with depression, feeling depressed a lot. So um, is it safe to say that, you know, this last year and a half with COVID and everybody being isolated, is um you know is that different than what you would call as a clinical depression uh leah brilliant question so clinical depression is kind of the difference between having a cold and getting pneumonia running a fever and knowing you need to go see the doctor a clinical depression will stop you from functioning at the level you've been functioning at and it is physical sleeping eating you are dragging it big time and it's not something that comes and goes it's something that lingers for more than two weeks as a different kind of depression which we still call depression is a consequence to the circumstances of our life and that's why i say you won't be a senior without having some experience with what we call use quotation here, depression. If you've had a clinical depression, of which some people are prone to and some people aren't, then you're very, very vulnerable to having more. And it's important. A clinical depression is something your family doctor will help screen you for and discuss whether or not getting better would happen with meds. The other kinds of depression are often well treated with talk therapy or I can describe some of the other things. You mentioned 
COVID. Well, one of the most contributing factors to the non-clinical depression, if I can speak about that first, is the fact that, number one, we're isolated. Mm -hmm. Social isolation is the big contributor to getting down in the dumps and depressed. And if you've been prone to a clinical depression, it's a slippery slope. And let me tell you, you're very, very vulnerable. So social isolation caused by this darn COVID, 100%, that's going to make you way more vulnerable to this. The second big, big thing that contributes to these bouts of depression is lack of activity. And I mean getting up, going about, paying attention to things you have to do and, and the things that are meaningful for you to do. So activity is something we lose as we get older or if we have health effects. We just slow down and or we have things like arthritic knees and we start to make very subtle passive choices and our activity level goes down. This is a very, very important factor that will add to you falling into a depression. So two things, social isolation or lack of social contact. Number two, diminished activity. If those two things are happening like they do with COVID, absolutely you need to be aware and especially if you've been prone to depression in the past. I think Donna that's that's one of the problems that some of the some of our seniors have is be becoming aware uh knowing when you are depressed because it's so like you said so subtle some of it uh you you could you don't even know you're in a depression and uh many you know friends coming by or friends phoning up saying how are you your first reaction is i'm fine you know and and so we can almost put on a we can put on a very good show for the outside world and i think uh knowing when we are depressed is is huge you're you're absolutely right sharon and you know we're talking about seniors here so we're talking about decades of pushing aside how you feel in order to function if you're a woman you're even more inclined to push it away distract yourself with other people activities responsibilities and how you feel in a functional sense, we all do that every day and week. The trouble is that when you keep doing that over and over and over and your environment doesn't sort of remediate that for you, doesn't actually lift and bring some good stuff, then you are terribly vulnerable. So this might sound like a silly question, but I mean, is there a questionnaire a person can take or do you have to wait until someone says, hey, are you depressed? What's your problem? Oh, I love that, Leah. And, you know, I was going to say, there is a questionnaire. Every general practitioner today has one or two that they can do. Literally, they can hand you a piece of paper with a checklist. That's, that's fun and interesting. It's available on the, online even. But your GP can screen you just like that. But many times, if they're tune, in tune with this, they'll already be asking you the screening questions without getting you to do the pen and paper. They're both very good, and most GPs today 
truly the doctors that have been you know through med school in the last 30 years know about this so they will listen but you need to be willing to tell and let me talk about what we need to tell and the reason we don't tell Leah Sharon is because we're embarrassed and ashamed we don't want people to know that we have to address the fact we're embarrassed and if we get beyond being embarrassed or ashamed of feeling the way you feel then first step is talk to your doctor and most of them will listen you know, I was so impressed with uh, the Olympics this year with that young girl who stepped away from the gymnastics because uh, she knew that uh, mentally, you know, she could have physically gotten very hurt uh, and uh, recognized that her safety and mental state was more important than uh, taking home a little gold medal. Not little, I mean, it's important, but <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. you know. And, you know, I'm, I really am thankful that... Uh, in this day and age, we are starting to really get the word out there that there's nothing to be embarrassed or ashamed about. But as seniors, we come from old school. Yeah. You know, we were raised that, ooh, no, don't, don't, don't admit to that. That's a sign of weakness or people are going to ridicule you or think that you're something worse than what you are, you know, and it's so important to, uh, I hope, you know, get that word out there that we all go through this and we, it's, there's nothing to be ashamed of to try and deal with it. Yeah, that's the thing. We all go through it. And I agree. The stigma is going away, but with seniors from our era, you betcha, they still think it's a sign of a character flaw. They see it as somehow or another, they'll be more needy or dependent when they don't want to be. Their families are busy, but I'm with you 100%. Depression is a treatable situation, and sometimes you need to treat it with medication because sometimes it's like pneumonia. And other times you, you combine medication, and, and it isn't pneumonia, but medication can also be like a really good knee brace or an ankle brace, and it can help you start doing those other things like activity, initiating social contacts, especially if you're an introvert. These aren't easy for you to do. And so combining that and talk therapy, that's the other thing. People don't reach out and talk. People with friends are less predisposed to a clinical depression, but not everybody has that circle of friends and family, or they don't tell. They don't talk about it with their friends and family. So you're right. Demythicize this as a character flaw, something you should be ashamed of. Understand it's one of the most easy-to-treat mental health issues, believe it or not. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think about my mom is uh, actually 92, <laughs> and uh, she is blind, almost deaf, uh, has uh, rods up her back and in her hips, so she's has no mobility. She's in a home, uh, and and so she's stuck. She has a hard time uh, talking on the telephone because she can't hear. When I go and visit with her, I have to yell even though I'm sitting right beside her. Terrible, terrible bouts of depression. Um, and that's a, a, an extreme case, I know, but there's lots of seniors out there that live alone and they, they, right. their kids, you know, are too busy with their lives and their friends have all died. Like, you know, how, how do those seniors deal with this? Okay, 
That's so you're absolutely right. You're sitting in an environment that is ripe to cause or contribute to depression. So how do you know? So can I go through just some of the quickies on that? Cool. The the biggest thing that you need to think about is how you are as far as your thoughts. If you're starting to think gloomy or that you don't want to live and that being dead would be better for everyone, this may not sound like suicidal thinking, but from that checklist you talk about, this is the next step to it. It's about being not open or interested in living. So number one, so if you're a person that have had sort of thoughts like that over the years, then you're going to say, well, they come and go or, you know, this is about. What you want to know is that if you're thinking about being dead and it's been going on for two weeks, not the weekend, two weeks, 10 days will work for me, let me tell you, but two weeks, okay? And that gets in your head every day, sort of comes and goes. But if it gets at all and it doesn't go away after two weeks, you should see a doctor. Number two in that is that if it wasn't there and then it started like this 18 months of COVID, if it starts and it has never been there, that's a big red flag. And you do not want to fool around with that. And you will watch it or you will tell your doctor the very next time you can. So first things first, that's the biggest red flag of depression is, and it's it can be quick, but most of the time it's because people have been living with a really tough situation, environment, or they've had depression before, and then when the environment shifts into unhelpful, low gear, then it's going to hatch again. Just know that's going to happen. And don't be upset about it and don't be surprised. Just say, oh, hell, here it is again. And I need to do something about it. So being passive or embarrassed, no, no. So first thing, suicidal thoughts. But the other thing people really need to know is that they start to feel weepy. This is when we know it's not just a phase. We're weepy. You can say, oh, I'm tired. But you know when the tears are there, you just feel like you're crying for no good reason except you're tired? Crying and feeling weepy is another thing that you really need. So it means that you've gone from feeling low and blue to a clinical depression here when those tears come, especially when there's no circumstance. This is not like a major event or a tragedy happened and you want to cry. We're talking about now I just start to feel overwhelmed maybe, but the tears. That's So suicidality, the tears. Then the other thing is that Tears can go with sadness, for sure. But that can come and go, but they are usually combined. And again, two weeks. Another one is the physical changes. Seniors have trouble having a decent appetite. But when you really have no appetite, and A, you don't want to eat, and if you did, it all tastes like Kleenex. No. Mm -hmm. This is a major symptom. Now, Um, for some... Sorry, so so do you... Do people literally lose their sense of taste? Yeah, not just from COVID. No, their appetite. So appetite and taste are combined. Okay. And when the appetite goes way down, almost negligible, this is what we call a clinical symptom. This is like pneumonia. Okay? Okay. 
Because other times we get down in the dumps and we get blue. And for some people who get depressed, they actually have a craving to eat more and more and more. Oh. That's true. Now, when you get old, that's not always the case. For most people in age, when that appetite shift goes, they're not looking to eat. They're no appetite. They have no energy to eat, no interest in eating if they ate they it's like like a piece of toast is like truly a piece of cardboard so that's big and the other big thing would be and this is hard to tell when you're a senior is a shift a change in your sleep pattern so mm. if you've normally been pretty good sleeping on your routine and all of a sudden you're either can't sleep waking up especially waking up early you can fall asleep three hours, four hours later, you're awake. This can't go on for more than two weeks or you want to be able to say what's going on. Right. And yeah, sleep. And the other sleep flip that around is all you want to do is sleep. And that's back to a shift in your normal sleep pattern. Even if it's a bumpy, sleepy pattern you have, when it's a shift of either can't sleep, can't get that, can't stay asleep all night, or all you want to do is lay in bed and sleep. This is a major symptom. You do not wait more than two weeks to talk to the doctor. You know, and, and this is really interesting and because, uh, you know, a lot of people will sit back and say, you know, I've been through this or I've had this. and But again, I go back to the fact that if you're alone, you ignore it. And that's and I, to me that's that's a big problem. Like, how would you know when to when to when go see somebody or to talk to somebody or is it should should loved ones be checking on them every day or? or? Yeah. That, those are things that absolutely should be there in terms of prevention and to help somebody get through or to check on somebody, especially COVID kind of things. But when you're alone. When that idea starts that I should just be dead and you don't want to eat even tea and toast and you can't sleep or all you want to do is sleep, those, those are major things. When you And teary, some people can't die, but when you feel teary and overwhelmed, but think you're isolated and you have that thought, oh, I should just be dead, I'd serve the world better if I was just dead. Those are the things that, no, no, you... That's not just a thought that you should yeah. just ignore. You go to the doctor, and the doctor will go through the checklist. How are you sleeping? How are you eating? How are you in the interest there? So that's the other, taking an interest in other things, TV, reading, hobbies. If you've lost interest for two weeks when you normally have, and you're not just bored, and it's not just, I'm talking about no interest. And most of us as seniors have had bouts of this. The magic is this two weeks, 14 days. Hmm. So is is suicidal common in the seniors, Donna? Very, very, very common, Sharon. you got to know it is terribly common. And the thing about most seniors is that they do things that cause death that doesn't look like suicide. Hmm. Because they do it in a more sort of subtle downward slope, a downward slide, not like the drama and impulsivity that you see in young people. 
So one of the best ways to maybe deal with some of this is to maybe start forcing yourself, forcing yourself to to go for a walk, to yeah. uh, to get outside into the fresh air, to maybe do all those things that you've been putting off and and you know uh, just take up a hobby or visit. Well, you're absolutely right about this. With when I think about social isolation physical pain, mobility problems. When you say force yourself, Sharon, you're absolutely right about this. It's a matter of critical solutions. You do not wait to feel like it. Because the truth is, if you go for a walk, even around the block or down the store and back and wherever you go, when you come back, if you feel a little bit more energy or if you feel a healthy kind of tired because you just played yourself out, this is healthy. And you're serious that structure is what I like to call it you need I, that little calendar that we all keep our lives organized for important things that calendar should include one of the most important things which is daily activity and social contact and if people aren't coming in then you get out and you text you talk on whatever you do whatever but those two things activity and social contact Without it, may I just interject, without activity and social contact, you might go to the doctor, he might put you on meds, you're not going to get a great outcome. Mm. You know, so don't over, those people that are willing to take meds and they're not embarrassed or they're happy, they're still not the solution. In fact, they're less than 50% of the solution to either getting out of a depression or preventing one. And, well, and you know, it's um, for the younger seniors that, um, you know, I, I love the idea of a buddy system, you know, where, where you, where you keep track of each other. And, and those of us that are in this age group, if we could just get over that uh, stamina, that, you know, we, yeah. we can't tell our friends, because uh, like you said, you know, everybody goes through it at some point, and yeah. we all care about each other. So, you know, let us help each other. Uh, a buddy system, keeping each other, uh, you know, in contact and, and making sure we're doing good. And if you're not, then, you know, get your butt over there and, and uh, get them out for that walk or have a cup of coffee or, or do something. You know, we really want to encourage people to do that, right? That's right. So that's back to having a good plan and do not rely on interest or feeling the energy to do it. Don't that's that's not going to happen because we're old, we're tired half the time. But that's the the thing. If you rely on feeling interested and you you know are in the mood to do it, don't do that. Or if you've been predisposed to depression, or if you're on the cusp, you can't afford to wait till you feel like it you just get up and I like it the old Nike thing get up and do it you know the get up and do it and tell people get your friends get family and I love buddy systems because I don't know most of us really like our friends a lot and it's not just family we we love our friends they bring interest to us they don't need us like family might you know this is this this has been very interesting and uh 
And it will make me want to go out and, you know, start getting a little more, do a little more activity now because, of course, you know, as in the last 18 months, I've been a couch potato sitting on my butt and uh, not... Uh, it's a cute butt, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, it's getting bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it's getting bigger. So, uh, Donna, you know, thank you so much for enlightening us on this. And uh, and do you have anything you want to say to Donna, Leah? Yeah, um, just, just before we um, cut off, I do want to give people some options of phone numbers that they can call. Um, I, I did some research before we came. I saw that there's a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Uh it's uh, 1-800-273-8255. Here in the uh, Balfords, where Sharon and I are, there's a local crisis suicide helpline, 306-525-5333. Uh, but also the, whole, the, the health line in general is 811. Uh, so just, you know, pick up that 811. The, um, from what I understand, uh, you know, the staff are experienced and uh, specially trained registered nurses, psychiatric nurses, social workers. It's free. Uh, it's uh, offered in English, but you can also, there's translation uh, there in over 100 different languages. And uh, if you're deaf or hard of hearing, they can also access the Healthline 811 by using the SASTEL Relay Operator Service at 1-800-855-1111. Five. Donna, any parting words for us? Yes, I love that you've said this about suicide hotline, and I can suggest that many people will say, oh, no, that's not for me. I'm not suicidal. They, I don't want to bother anybody. What I would suggest people do is when they have that thought that life is a drudgery and they don't really feel like continuing on, take a little time, phone those people, and they'll tell you whether or not you should worry and they will be happy to hear from you. You don't have to be feeling like you're at your last moment to call them. Call anyway. Excellent. Donna. So nice talking to you, Donna. Yes, it was great talking to you and thank you for for enlightening us on this subject. And uh, uh, yeah, it's been a great. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. My pleasure, all the best changing what we know and how we can not get stuck is uh, in depression as we age. Excellent. So to all of our viewers out there, we hope that you enjoyed our topic uh, today, that maybe you learned something from it. Uh, if you have any questions, make sure you use those numbers uh, that I just recited or call a buddy, talk to your doctor. Don't be ashamed. Uh, let's, let's deal with this and let's get happy. Right, Sharon? Right happy <laughs> Til, we're, going, we're going to go start walking we are so yeah. uh until the next time uh have a good day and be safe be safe everyone